So it's Friday, January the 14th. This is the Andrew Pearce Show coming as ever from the Daily Mail newsroom. Coming up... Can you be too right-wing, too Tory, too Brexity to find love? I'm going to be talking to someone who thinks that's the case. The extraordinary saga of Novak Djokovic, the tennis player. He's out, it seems, again of the Australian Open. But guess what? He's appealing. We'll be giving you the latest. The self-isolation period for COVID finally being cut for in seven to five days and not before time. Does it get any worse? Downing Street apologising to Buckingham Palace for the spin doctor's party in Downing Street on the eve of Prince Philip's funeral when the whole country was supposed to be in a state of national mourning. But first, Prince Andrew, stripped of all his military duties, uh, no longer able to use the title HRH. Has there ever been a bigger public humiliation for such a senior member of the royal family? So the extraordinary story about Prince Andrew went even more seismic. He's been stripped of all his military titles and patronages. He's no longer allowed to use the title HRH. And the brutal, blunt statement from Buckingham Palace said he'll be defending his United Sex Abuse case as a private citizen. Joining me now is the Daily Mail's Royal Editor, Rebecca English. Total and abject humiliation for Prince Andrew, Rebecca. Oh, I mean, completely. The statement was... Ruthless and swift, as uh, one insider described it to me, and it's all about protecting the institution of the monarchy, always has been and always will be, is what they said. Now, we he went to see the Queen. We've, we've got that picture of a rather haunted-looking Prince Andrew on the front page of the paper today. Obviously, we never know what goes on between the monarch and anybody uh, in private, but this would have been a very... Perhaps difficult is the wrong word because she is she wants the firm to continue, but she would be very sad for where this leaves her son. Absolutely. As a mother, of course, she's very sad and she has tried to to protect him. But she's also the head of state and the CEO of uh, a big institution and knows that she had to act in that role as well. I mean, he was there with her for an hour and a half, I was told. Uh, and quite interestingly, interestingly, we revealed in the mail today that he took his solicitor, Gary Bloxham, with him, also known as Good News Gary, because he only ever wants to tell the Duke the uh, rosier side of life. And he wasn't actually allowed in. He had to wait in the car. So it was just mother and son together. You make the point, too, in your piece today, Rebecca, that the uh, decision about Prince Andrew also bears the fingerprints of the Prince of Wales, who's the future king, and Prince William, uh, and the Queen respects both their decisions. After all, they will be taking the monarchy forward in the next stage when the unthinkable happens and she's no longer with us. Yeah, they're very much so. I mean, it's something they have been discussing for a while, and actually... Back in 2019, if you can cast your mind back to that mm. disastrous BBC Newsnight interview Andrew gave, yeah. it was then Charles and William who turned around and said, enough is enough. Um, and that's when Andrew was made to step down from public life, but was allowed to keep these military um, affiliations and charitable patronages, as well as his, using his HRH. And, and again, they acted uh, this time. I mean, Charles is actually up in Scotland at the moment, so he's been speaking to the Queen um, via phone, but William was actually at the palace, uh, sorry, at Palace Windsor Castle on Wednesday, where he's conducting an investiture and spent some private time with his grandmother. And um, yeah, they they made very clear that if the institution is to survive this unscathed, they need to have 
some clear blue water between them and the man-sized problem is that is the Duke of York. Just finally on this, Rebecca, um, he, we now know, has absolutely no prospect of ever returning back to public life. You wonder how long he'll keep that very grand Royal Lodge in Windsor Great Park. But it appears to indicate from the source you quote in the story today that he's going to fight on. Is he really, in your view, going to risk going into court, whether by by, via video link, to contest the allegations from this young from this woman, Virginia Roberts Dufresne? Well, he does. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, as we said in the paper today, he does intend to fight on. But I think that is fighting to ensure it doesn't go to trial. Um, there are ah. other legal avenues they're attempting to pursue. We're expecting today to maybe hear back about uh, witnesses that they want to uh, interview. Um, they're still pursuing. Um, one avenue they're pursuing is that Virginia uh, Gouffre is not um, domicile in the US and they've still got to um, kind of take that to uh, its fruition. So there are... I, the, what, what, how it has been described to me is there are, there are a lot of other um, legal avenues for them to pursue uh, between now and the autumn. Um, whether he's successful in any of them is anyone's guess because, of course, Judge Lewis Kaplan in the US has given them pretty short shrift so far, but they are being quite bullish about it nonetheless. If I could just sneak in one last question, Buckingham Palace, all, mem- <laughs> all, all members of the royal family will be desperate for this to be all cleared up, resolved, even if it means uh, Prince, Prince Andrew has to settle, which means he never does get to clear his name, if indeed he could, uh, before the celebrations for the Queen's Platinum Jubilee in June. I think that's very optimistic, I have to say, that it will be mm. concluded by April um, uh, the judge has made very clear, as I said, that he wants this to go to trial unless he can be, you know, persuaded that there's a very good reason why it shouldn't be. Um, and as someone close to the case said to me, this is this is the very beginning of almost of things for them as far as Andrew's defence goes. So that is why, obviously, they've taken the move they had and and really, as you say, very brutally and very humiliatingly made the point in this two-line statement that Andrew, from this point on, was, will be a private citizen, a private citizen fighting to clear his name, i.e. nothing to do with us, Governor. Amazing, isn't it? That's Rebecca English, who's the Daily Mail's Royal Editor, who's now going to get stuck into the story so she can write some more great stories for the paper tomorrow. Visit mailplus.co.uk to listen to The Andrew Pearce Show for free and in full, along with our other podcasts and video series. Remember to tell your Alexa speaker to play Daily Mail News. So Downing Street has confirmed that an apology has been made to Buckingham Palace after the revelation there was a raucous, boozy leaving party in number 10 on the eve of Prince Philip's funeral when the entire country was in a state of national mourning. The party was for the Boris Johnson's retiring press chief, James Slack, who's apologised also for holding the leaving due. It emerged that alcohol for the party was acquired put in a suitcase from a local co-op in Westminster or Whitehall. There was a disco in the basement of number 10 and Boris and Carrie Johnson's child's swing got damaged in the garden. So all in all, quite a party. Boris Johnson, it has to be said, wasn't there. On the line now is Paul Richards, a former government advisor and author of How to Be a Spin Doctor. Paul, even you, in, with your enormously uh, resourceful skills as a spin doctor, will find it very difficult, or would find it very difficult, to put an even shred of a positive spin on this. This is about as bad as it gets. 
There's no excuse at all, is there? I mean, there just isn't one. I think it's impossible to discuss this without a kind of mounting sense of incredulity and also anger because of the circumstances you described. That that the picture of uh, Her Majesty, you know, in the news the next day, alone in, in black in mourning, is one that everybody will immediately recognise. And then the picture painted from these stories of the government officials behaving like it was an 1830 holiday the night before, um, just sort of clashes with that. It clashes with our our values. It clashes with our sense of propriety. You know, it goes beyond anything to do with media management. It just really gets people deep in their hearts. And it's it's, it's horrible. So, no, there's no spin. Uh, There can only now be resignations. The Prime Minister's official spokesman made the point that he wasn't there, but... Um, of course, that it would be it would be resignation time if he was there. Of course, resignation may still come anyway. But is part of the problem, Paul, here that the cult this this party would probably never have happened if it hadn't been for a culture that perhaps the prime minister had either encouraged drinking and breaking the lockdown rules or had turned a blind eye to. Well, this is the big question, isn't it? Because uh, number ten Dan Street is a place of work and it's not a private home you know, where the boss was away, so everyone had a great big hoolie. I mean, it's a place where it's very strictly governed about who can do what and where and all the rest of it. I used to work in the building next door in the cabinet office, and, you know, it was very strictly controlled. So um, the, the, the kind of the, the fish rots from the, the head, doesn't it, here? The, the culture has been set from the top, and whether or not the prime minister was present, this, these are the people who work for him and with him the closest um, and take their cues from their boss. Um, so, you, you know, the fact that he just happened not to be present, I'm afraid, is not enough of an excuse. Um, I think the very least thing that can happen now is that all those people who were fined for having gatherings and parties and whatnot, some of them, you know, with many thousands of pounds, mm. should be um, given their money back and they should be given an apology because, you know, why should the ordinary person uh, face one set of rules when number 10 was, uh, you know, partying and with a DJ and a, a suitcase full of booze from the co-op? I mean, it's just one rule for them and a rule for everyone else, isn't it? Yeah, now this will all go back into the intray for Sue Gray, who is the senior civil servant who's conducting the investigation now. I don't know if you came across her, Paul, when you were mm. working in the Whitehall jungle. She's tough as old boots. She's scru- unscru- She's scrupulous. She's rigorous. Um, uh, what do you think will... Do you think be, the result of her inquiry will lead to resignations? It, it, she, I'm, I'm told she's not Witchfinder General. She won't name names. He or she should go. But the report could lead, do you think, to people feeling they have no choice but to stand down? Yes, I mean, I I did encounter her in government and she has a a fearsome reputation because she is, uh, you know, will strictly adhere to the rules, she will look at the evidence um, and, you know, if you saw her, um, that was usually bad news, you know, <laughs> yes. something pretty bad. Um, yeah. So it's entirely possible that she can not name names, but still produce a report that is damning enough for there need to need to be some resignations or at least some um, sort of disciplinary process in place. But you know, the broader point is the politics of this. I mean, the you know the prime minister seems to now have become a, a liability to the Conservative Party, and we all know what happens when prime ministers become a liability. Well, that was my final question to you. Another poll now gives Labour an 11-point lead. Um, most of it, it has to be said, isn't because of surging support for Keir Starmer. It's collapsing support for the Conservatives. Uh, in your view, do Labour now want to keep 
Boris Johnson there because they think he's much more beatable at, at the ballot box come the next election and local elections coming up? Or or do you think they just are desperate to get see the back of him come what may and then perhaps face somebody, an unknown quantity like Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, who is currently the favourite to be the next Tory leader? Well, there's, there's two answers to that, isn't there, really? One, yeah. is, one is the, the sort of the public-facing Labour Party that will be saying, get rid of him, get rid of him, resign, exactly. resign. But what do they really mean? But, but privately, of course, it's quite useful for Labour to have him still there, dragging the ticket down, you know, causing all these kind of ructions and frictions inside the government. Um, and uh, as you say, the Labour poll lead seems to be creeping up a point or two each day that it goes on. So actually, I think privately, they'd rather have him there for another few months to, to really damage the government's process at any future election so you know yes of course resign resign but actually maybe not yet that's it and and but you're pretty confident are you that he won't be there leading the tories into the next election I, 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 it's unlikely i would say i mean i don't think he's going to resign today um, and i don't think he's going to resign you know this week but i i think there is now the die is cast i think he's, he's crossed his uh crossed his rubicon to use a metaphor that the prime minister will be familiar yeah. with um and there's Indeed. no turning back now so i think we're on that <laughs> on that road now yeah for sure all right, that's Paul Richards, former government advisor and author of How to Be a Spin Doctor. Visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe and get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and much more. If you want to get in touch, tweet us at mailplus or me at Tory Boy Pierce. So the Health Secretary Savage Javid finally declared the self-isolation period from Omicron is being cut from seven days to five full days in a bid to ease the pressure of staff absences, especially in the NHS. Mr Javid cited data from the UK Health Security Agency, which shows around two thirds of positive cases are no longer infectious by the end of day five. I'm joined now by Dr Daniel Olaya, who's an NHS doctor and anaesthetist. Doctor, you're in the front line, you're in the thick of it. Is this the right way forward or is the government taking its foot off the pedal and taking a risk? I think it's tough to say is the risk that we're taking the right one, but given the information that we have, I think it is personally. Um, I've been on the, the, the front line for the last two years and staff shortages do make a significant impact on the patient care, you know, to the level of times we can see the patient, to the amount we can monitor the patient, to changes in the patient. So, you know, on a micro level and on a macro level, you know, staff shortages to, do make a huge difference. And I think, I think, I think this is good. I think this is the right risk we need to to, to take, um, given the science that we have. So, um, I, I think I think it's good. I think it's necessary. Um, you know, of course, only time will tell. In where you're working, doctor, how bad are the staff shortages? I mean, are people going down like flies? Mm. So, I, I, unfortunately, I can't give you numbers. But personally, what, what I've what I've experienced is that, particularly over the Christmas period in the New Year, um, it feels like it's tailing off a little bit now. Um, but uh, yeah, no, we we had surgery which was cancelled, emergency surgery which you know got delayed. You know, we're looking for. Um, you know, other staff in, in different different areas of, of the hospital. Yeah, it was it affected us, you know, hugely. And and not just that, but we've got to remember, 
you know, this is winter time. Normally, the NHS is under a lot of pressure during winter. We call it winter pressures, you know, where we're really struggling. We have to get a lot of, you know, agency staff, a lot of locum staff. And, you know, it's a busy time anyway. So this is compounded with COVID. Is it a big risk, doctor, because um, all the infection rates are plummeting in England? Uh, I see that in Wales, uh, they're relaxing a lot of the restrictions. Is there a downside to this decision? So... Every decision that we take when it comes to isolation and, and the rules, you know, that there's, there's going to be risks. Um, and I think with with this, the, the risk that we're thinking about is, are we going to be increasing the uh, COVID transmission? Um, and uh, are we are we going to spread COVID throughout the workforce again? And of course, this is going to put patients at risk. I think with the information, the science we have right now, I, I don't think that's the case. Uh, we can never be sure, but I, I don't think that's the case. I think the vaccination has made a huge difference um, to the severity of the in- infections and the uh, virulence as well, um, which is which is great. Um, you know, there's there's you know people are testing as well. We have all these safety checks as well. Um, and if you think about the the five day isolation, I mean, there's, there's common sense. You know, no no one's gonna come in to, to work if they really feel unwell or you know if, if they if they know that they, they possibly you know might pass something along um we've got to remember that that the winter pressures are at play here also you know there's there's more colds there's there's more flus um so it's not just covid you know making people ill and and putting making people you know go off sick it's other things as well um and, and that just adds to it for, for for you, there is talk now that we will be the first country in the in Europe to emerge from a pandemic state. Um, how quickly would, does that um, manifest itself into real differences in the NHS? Um, would, how quickly would you be able then to start? Do you think getting back to normal, or is being normal never really going to happen again because COVID is going to be with us for for years and years? In my opinion, I don't think we'll ever go back to normal. I think uh, this is a huge uh, paradigm shift, and I can't see us uh, going back to normal. You know, there, there is no. This is the new normal. Um, I think that's. I think that's just the the way it is. You know, the way we think about infection, the way we think about pandemic, the the ease in which it can happen. You know, we've all lowered our threshold, which is good. You know, we're on guard, and and you know, new new measures, new, new systems, new ways of working. You know, I, I think that's good. That, that it doesn't go back to normal. I think, and I think that's the way it is. Um, I, I think when it comes to um, you know, elective surgeries and uh, appointments and GP surgeries as well, being, you know, of course, being being the, the first, you know, you know, point of you know, primary care that a patient would see. I think I think that's where the the bigger issues lie because um, if that first line of defence falls then of course the hospitals are going to get full and and I think a paradigm shift there is, is very very important and, and the systems need to be very strong there because right now you know a lot of people they're struggling to get their uh, GP appointments um, I think it's just you know finding systems and, and, and ways of, of, of dealing with it but no to answer your question um, I can't see us going back to normal and I don't think we should fascinating answer fascinating answer that's Dr Daniel Ovalaya who is an NHS doctor and anaesthetist thank you so much for joining us Deputy Sports Editor Matt Gatwood's here with the latest sports news and he's got a very big smile on his face but we won't talk about the reason for that just yet. First I want to talk about the cricket because we were doing so well and then we were. we're not doing so well. What went wrong and then, Matt? And then we blew it well. 
So, yeah, England in the first day of the final test in Hobart, where, as you know, all we're playing for is a little bit of pride. We started well. We had Australia 12 for three, can you believe? Um, and it could have been even better, but uh, we dropped Marnus Labuschagne when he was on naught. Um, and then from 12 for three, England suddenly started to bowl poorly, uh, couldn't react to the fact that the Australian batsman, particularly Travis Head, started to come at them and play aggressively. Uh, and they let Travis Head, Travis Head get a century. Um, this is the man they dropped to, a man who they dropped on naught, then got a century. Uh, well, that was Labuschagne they dropped on naught. I mean, he got 50. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and Travis Head went on to get 100. Um, and, and basically the Aussies have fought back and uh, close a play on day one. They're 260 for six. So, I mean, on the face of it, that doesn't sound too bad. But when you think that we had them 12 for three, and when you also think of what England's batting lineup has been like on this tour, uh, anything, if they can get to 300, the Australians, they will be very happy and feel that they're in the box seat. So um, a chance for England, but they've thrown it away. We need to pray for rain, quite obviously. Um, <laughs> we do. Now, you're, now, the reason you're smiling is because Arsenal held um, Liverpool to a draw at Liverpool in the first round of the semi-final of the League Cup. And they played very well, apparently. And Liverpool were hopeless. Well, yeah, they did play well. They, uh, you know, a gritty performance. So you don't always associate with Arsenal. Of backs to the wall and getting stuck in and digging out a... Uh, a result in adversity. So, as ever, that uh, Granite Xhaka got sent off for the fifth time in his Arsenal career. Um, that is one thing that Arsenal are very good at, is getting people sent off. Uh, so, they lead the way in, in, in terms of uh, red cards since Arteta has been in charge of them. Uh, but anyway, they, they made, uh, they made uh, light of the fact that they'd lost Granite Xhaka and dug in for the best part of 70 minutes, as you say, to get a nil-nil draw, which they can take into the second leg back at the Emirates next week, where they'll be looking to, if they can win, they obviously reach Wembley. But um, the one bad thing is that Granite Jack will be banned for the next two games, which include the North London derby on Sunday and the second leg of that uh, of that um, tie next week. So uh, it's not all rosy in the Arsenal garden. And just remind me who's in the final already. It's Chelsea, isn't it? Yeah, Chelsea are already there waiting for the winners. So, um, Very interesting. So, uh, yes, it's all to play for all next right. week. Now, the extraordinary saga, and one does have to ask the question, who's having the worst week? Is it Boris Johnson, Prince Andrew, or uh, Novak Djokovic? Uh, Djokovic <laughs> has now had his visa withdrawn again. It's incredible, isn't it? I mean, every day, I think, well, we won't talk about Djokovic today because the story won't move on. But yet again, there's another chapter. Uh, yet um, so the immigration minister has removed his uh, his visa. So you would think that that would be the end of it, but of course it's not. Djokovic is now appealing um, this decision, and he will have hearings over the weekend uh, to determine whether he can overturn this again. He's, he's seeing the same judge. He's up against, in front of the same judge who has already uh, reinstated his visa once. So, uh, but you know, there, I think the likelihood now is that he's reached the end of the road because the immigration minister has sort of, you know, overall power. And if he has been the one to say that the visa has been revoked, and of course we know that Djokovic has made mistakes in his, uh, in the way he's entered the country. So he, yeah. he's, the immigration minister well, he, must feel uh, yeah. he's on solid ground and that he's dotted all his, uh, his I's and crossed all his T's. Um, you would think that he now is on solid ground and that Djokovic won't be successful, but they're going to be appealing over the weekend. And of course the tournament starts on Monday. Yeah, and he's due to play his first round match. Is, is it on Tuesday? 
well, Monday or Tuesday. They haven't actually right. sorted out oh, the okay. order of play yet, but it would have to be Monday yeah. or Tuesday because that's when the first round happens. So, yeah, they got very little time. But uh, I think I could be wrong because this is, uh, there's been twists and turns uh, galore in this story, but I think this could be the end of the road for Djokovic, and he may be Good. kicked out over the weekend, and he may not Good. be able to go back into Australia for the next three years. That's normally what happens. Good. So, uh, incredible story. Well, he should have told he should have told the truth on his immigration form, and when he got went down with COVID, he shouldn't have been photographed giving out prizes to child, school children and then giving an interview to a journalist, and in at no time is he wearing a mask. Exactly. I, yeah, I completely agree. And uh, I know I think that the part of the story is that he's been led up the garden path by Tennis Australia and told, mm. yeah, yeah, you'll be fine, you know, come on in. But of course, a large part of it as well that he has been uh, economical with the truth, shall we say, and that's caught up with him. So this, does this give Andy Murray an outside chance? Because hasn't he just won an ATP tournament for the first time since his comeback? Well, incredibly, he's not won it, but he's reached the final in Sydney. Oh, right. So it's the first time he's reached, I mean, it's a big, you know, it's an ATP tournament, as you say, first time he's reached the final since 2019. Um, so great effort by him. Does it give him an outside chance of winning it? No, let's be honest. He's not going to win a major again. But it's, um, it is, you know, it is great for him that he has got this far and that he is playing some great tennis again. Um, I just think for him, given how little tennis he's played, going two weeks through a tournament, back-to-back games like they come thick and fast through a major, uh, getting to a t- getting to a final would be you know would be too much to ask. I'm not sure his body could uh, could hold no. up to that, but it's certainly you know a great effort that he's back playing at the you know at the highest level and competing again. It's such a shame because I wanted him to beat Novak Djokovic in the first or second round. Well, it could still happen if you know. You never know. It's been such a weird build-up to this tournament. Yeah. You can put anything past anyone, so you never know. And just find him out on Djokovic. Is he in court? Is it in court? I mean, it's they're in bed in Sydney, in Melbourne now, of course, because they're all those hours ahead. Um, is the court hearing over the weekend, or is it delayed till Monday? Do we not know? I think it's Saturday, so Melbourne time, Saturday morning, and then again Sunday morning. So he's got two hearings right. lined up for Saturday and Sunday morning. So that's Melbourne time. So that's uh, you know late tonight for us and then obviously early, uh, late Saturday night for us so by Sunday lunchtime our time I think we should have a decision one way or the other Alright, that's Matt Gatwood who is of course the Deputy Sports Editor Thanks for joining us So does being right wing means it's hard to find romance these days? Emily Hill is a writer, seasoned user of dating apps and she's a conservative She thinks her politics are standing in the way of getting dates and she joins me now um emily you say you've torpedoed all chances of a date in the post-covid era because you are anti-woke and you're right wing how do they know you're right wing is it because they've read all your stuff first yes yeah, so what the clever data does nowadays andrew on these apps is they search your name ah. and then they, they google search your, your photos and i started writing this political column for mail plus yeah um and so now a screed of opinions sort of bashing Boris and sort of saying this, that, you know, the lockdown is, is a very, very bad policy and not proper conservative policy at all. And, uh, yeah, so the first thing they look up is that. And the one thing you can't be is like Peter Hitchens on a dating app. Like, he wouldn't go down very well, although I very much admire Peter and his Yeah, dance. indeed. Of course, he's taken, of course. Happily married is our Peter. Um, now, I love this story here. When you downloaded the dating app Hinge, the first man who wanted to match with you announced he was, get this, Buddhist, Christian, Hindu, Jewish and Muslim, in other words, in your words, so woke, you've no idea how he sleeps. 
Might have been quite an interesting discussion. Yeah. I'd like to know which part of him was, was he more Buddhist or more Christian or more Hindu or more Jewish? I mean, where would you start? I suspect he was none of the above and yes. had probably just migrated over from plenty of fish and was just ticking all boxes as to he's basically open to dating anyone. Um, I'm a Catholic, so I take the whole thing quite seriously. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, in now, these and days. You, and you talk about woke fishing, which has become a phenomenon. What is that woke fishing? What does it mean? So basically, the the fishing concept originated with catfishing, where people would basically borrow other people's photographs of them looking really, really handsome, usually with a view to kind of seducing them and extracting money. A very clever scam. And then it sort of developed into hat fishing, where bald men would wear hats and things. And now it's become woke fishing, where these men know that the way to get a date uh, with with women, who do tend to be more left-wing, I think, is to pretend that they have, they're massively woke. And there's lots of male feminists, yeah. um, which I find very suspicious. One, one man was claiming to be a feminist on the streets and a misogynist in the streets, which just makes him sound like a date rapist of some form, yeah. in my view. But anyway. But it's not all bad news, because you do make the point. Uh, Lawrence Fox, now he's the actor turned... Um, he's joined the successor party to Brexit uh, re- reform. He's just got engaged this week to Arabella Fleetwood Neagle, who's an active supporter of the anti-woke agenda. So if it's all right for him. Yes. Well, he's very famous. He's got lots of money, hasn't he? <laughs> well, his party does keep getting know. millions of pounds. Well, there we go then. I mean, she's no fool, is she? No. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I mean, I'm, I, I'm not really a big fan of Lawrence Fox, I'll be honest with you, but I am very much in love with Ron DeSantis. Um, I, don't, I don't know whether I don't. I yeah, I don't know how to explain that one. I mean, he it, the last time I heard from Lawrence Fox, he was complaining that he'd been dumped by a girlfriend because he wasn't woke. So, oh, that's um, interesting. Maybe the tide is changing, Andrew. I don't know. Yeah, no, look, let's I, hope so. I'm glad I'm spoken for because, um, but fortunately, um, my other half is, is even more right wing than me, Emily, which helps. But um, it's this wow. new. It's this. New, I know that's saying something. This new language you have to encounter. <laughs> what are it? Woke terminology. Men include on their profiles an interest in polyamory. Uh, what does that mean? Yeah. So polyamory. So polyamory. I think it's like a, a woke, woke, woke rebrand of sort of polygamy, right. where you sort of have multiple wives and they'd all sort of oh, compete for your attention, or a harem or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, basically, they're just replacing uh, the the other big term is ethical ethical non monogamy. If right. you can get your head around that term, basically, they're sort of they're just rebranded cheating and shagging and and sort of um, yeah, it's 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 all very odd. I mean, the the the, the guy who sort of he tried to match with me and he said, you know, you, would you be interested to, to you know ask me about ethical non monogamy? I'm thinking, God, no, thank you very much. No. But he was wearing um wearing a pair of um, very tight blue underpants with a, a wolf's head on the crotch and had pink painted nail. Oh, and was, no. God, is this the best I can hope for? I, I just, I think I'd go in a convent, actually, rather than that. Um, and, and what about... I'm planning on it. Yeah, well, <laughs> but what about this whole I've, <laughs> the, the, I've never kissed a Tory movement? That's very worrying. It is, it is very worrying. I think, the, I mean, this is the thing, like in America... All these young people in, in universities, they are so woke and so Democrat, they absolutely refuse to vote Republicans. And if that trend starts over here, I think we're going to, we could see Toryism dying out because there's none, none, none left in the next generation. Um, I think it's, I mean, because I'm getting, getting on a bit now, but I think it must be really, really difficult if you have conservative views and you're a, sort of in your late teens, early 20s. Absolutely. Uh, look, you know what you could do? You could always go to the 
Conservative Party conference. Um, there's quite a lot of your people there under the age of 50, you know. They're not all they're not all blue rinse people in their pearls. <laughs> that is there is a bit of that. I yeah. <laughs> yes. I know what those men are like. You do, you do. Um. So so what's 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 the immediate future? Um sing, sing a singleton, Emily? Yes, I think I think the convent's a great idea. I wonder if they've got some kind of trendy one that allows you to have little dogs. I think that would be quite fun. Yeah, I just think about the great stuff you could write from there. Exactly. Well, there's lots of them around and they definitely need recruits, Emily, but you might have to take a vow of celibacy. That's all right. I think I'm pretty much there already. <laughs> That's Emily Hill. She's the journalist and she's the author of Bad Romance, which you must read. And she's done a very entertaining piece today. Emily Hill, thanks for joining us. That's all we've got time for today. For the latest from the Daily Mail, download the Mail Plus app. Every weekday at 5pm you can listen to me all over again. I'm Andrew Pierce. This is The Andrew Pierce Show. I'll be back on Monday. Have yourselves a great weekend and good night. Music.